The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, 1 through 8. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. My name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City. I'm glad that you made it. You're looking good out there. Ben, thank you for those kind words. Pastor's appreciation is going to be a little different this year. Um, I will accept ammunition. Um, you could you could give me supplies for my bunker. Um, what else do I need? Maybe toilet paper? I don't know, right? Um, but it is a joy to serve you and an honor to be one of your pastors. And one of the things I want to do this morning, as before we uh, jump into our text, is I want um, to pray for our country, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our president, um, who has obviously been diagnosed with COVID-19. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so I want, in the midst of this uh, political season, a lot of turmoil, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of hatred, a lot of animosity, uh, I want to take a moment and pray for our country and pray for our president. So, Father God, uh, we want to be obedient to you. And so we pray for our president, not because uh, we're Republicans or because we're Democrats or because even we're Americans. We're, We're praying, Father, because we're your children and you've called us to pray for our leaders. And so we bring them before you right now. We bring the president and his wife before you. We ask that you would guide the doctors. We ask that you would give them wisdom. We ask that you would heal their body, that you would bring them through this stronger than they were before. Um, We ask that you would give them even a soft heart, that you would um, bring your spirit to bear to their heart. You would bring your word and your wisdom to bear to their mind, that you would, that all of those uh, in the White House and around the White House and and the Senate and in the House who have been infected with COVID-19, that you would bring a fast recovery to their bodies. You would bring healing to them. And Father, that you um, would direct our country and our leaders by your will. We, you say in your word that the king's heart is like a stream in the hand of the Lord, that you direct it where you will, that you put kings in position and you pull kings down. You put presidents in positions and you pull presidents down, that you are governing and overseeing all the kingdoms of men because Uh, You are over them all. And so we submit to your providence. We submit to your sovereign rule. And you know what's best for us. And so we 
lean into your fatherly guidance, your fatherly care. And we lean into that this morning and we trust you with things that are too great for us. I also want to pray for uh, the sermon this morning and the expositing of your word. I pray that you would think through my mind, that you'd speak through my vocal cords. I pray that you'd keep distractions at a minimum so that people can hear you speaking to them. And um, yeah, just bless our time together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, good morning. If you are just joining us, we are continuing our study through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount that is uh, found for us in Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. I am always amazed at how God uses our sermon series through books of the Bible in very specific and special ways and how he kind of, he just directs us. He gives us what we need right when we need it. This is one of the evidences of the truthfulness and the reliabilities of the scripture. They never fail to speak to us. If we have open ears, if we have an open heart, God never fails to speak to us. And we're living in a day and age where we desperately need to understand the central message of the Sermon on the Mount. The world is not a peaceful place. The world is an anxious place. The world is a war zone. And it's been that way, not since the beginning of 2019. It's been that way since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. This is why Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. If what Jesus said is true, the life of a Christian should feel like being a sheep amongst a bunch of wolves. That's what it should feel like as we leave this gathering today, as we go to our workplace, as we watch the news, as we're in our neighborhood, that we're there like sheep in the midst of wolves. That might not be that comforting for us. But we need to remember that we live in a world at war with God. We need to learn how to be sheep in the midst of a world of wolves. That's what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, here's what sets my people apart. Here's my way of being and living in the world that is different from everyone else. Jesus says to those who want to be his disciples, if you want to be my people, you have to practice following my way. And what we've seen so far, to follow Jesus is to live a blessed, happy, flourishing life in this world and in the world to come. However, that flourishing life isn't the picture of flourishing that we probably have for ourselves, It isn't the easy life. It isn't the carefree life. It isn't the pain-free, successful life our parents hoped we'd live. And that's because we live in a world that is broken. But this is one of the attributes of Jesus' sermon that makes it so special. 
It's tailor-made for the real world. It's not a picture of some utopian never-never land where people never get old and never experience an economic downturn and never get sick and never die. No, this is a vision of life in this real world, this real war-torn world we find ourselves in. Jesus says, in a world filled with hurt, pain, sin, and injustice, my people will have comfort that those in the world will never know. My people will hunger and thirst for everything to be made right. And they won't have the arrogance to claim that their political party is the one that's actually going to usher in the kingdom of God. My people will receive mercy fully from God and will give mercy to others. There'll be a merciful, peaceful presence in the world and in the community that they live in. And today... Jesus says one of the greatest, maybe the greatest reality of practicing his way of living and being in the world, hear this this morning, is that those who follow Jesus will see God. He says it like this. Blessed or happy, flourishing are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Does that thrill you? Does that blow your mind? Does that cause your heart to beat a little faster? If it doesn't, you might not understand the purpose of your life, the goal, the telos, the end for which you were created. The first question in the Westminster Catechism asks this, what is the chief and highest end of man. So what are we created for? What's our purpose? What's our goal? The answer is this. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. We were made to see God. We were made by God for God. We have been created in such a way where the deepest longings of our heart, the highest rafters of our intellect, <clears throat> and the farthest horizons of our imaginations can only be reached by knowing and loving the God who has created it all. In other words, we were made by God to see God's face. We have eyes to behold him. We were created for more than just staring into our phones. Do you ever think, why is it, why, why is it that we can spend hours a day staring into our phones and we're never satisfied? Proverbs 27.20 says this, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Now, you probably didn't know that Solomon, writing 3,000 years ago, diagnosed your Netflix addiction. This is why pornography is so addictive. 
Our eyes were made to behold God and nothing else can satisfy them. It's why when you watch one video, you want to watch the next. It's why YouTube is a black hole. You go to search one thing and then bam, 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 bam. You can never reach the end of it. Our eyes were made to behold God and nothing else can satisfy them. Here's a provocative quote from G.K. Chesterton. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. We are meant to know and enjoy God himself. We were built to see the most glorious one. If we were an engine, you would say we were built to run on God. The psalmist says in 36.9, For with you, God, is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. That means God is the fountain. God is the source. God is what it gives our life meaning and substance and purpose and direction. He's the fountain of life. He is where true and everlasting life is found. David says it like this in Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David knew where to go to find his pleasure. David knew where to go to find his satisfaction. David knew where to go to get his eyes satisfied. He said again in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Listen, David knew that God was the source of all of his joy and delight. David was a man who knew that when his soul was parched, he didn't need a new series to watch on Netflix. He didn't need more money. He didn't need more security. He didn't need more good times. He needed more of God. David says, to be loved by God and to know God is better than life itself. That's why the Apostle Paul said, it's good to be alive and be with you, but I think it's even better if I die and be with Christ. Can I say this to us? We are thirsty for God. We might not know it, but we are dying of divine thirst. Our city and our country is dying of spiritual dehydration. And most people don't even know it. We are still convinced that there's something in this world that is finally going to make us happy. So many people right now are afraid. So many people right now are anxious. Their anxiety is through the roof. They can barely leave their house. They can barely watch the news. 
Why? Because the world has shown itself to be what it really is, out of our control. You cannot control this virus. You cannot control the economic issues going on in our country. You cannot control the election. You cannot control the racial division that's going on. You cannot control the ideological division that's in our world right now. But here's the lie we're believing and the source of much of our anxiety. Here it is. If I can somehow gain more control, I will have peace in my life. If I can have all the right info about the virus, if I can figure out what the market is going to do in the next season, if I can get my opinion across on the racial issues, if I can get my guy in the White House, I can ensure my peace and safety for the foreseeable future. And guess what? That is all a lie. An absolute lie. You have never been in control. You will never be in control. Maybe that's what God is doing right now. And this is the question we should be asking. What is God doing right now as he governs the United States of America and the world? He may be shaking the foundations of our arrogance and pride. The truth is, your fear is actually spiritual thirst. Your anxiety is spiritual thirst. Your doubt about the future is spiritual thirst. We are all thirsty for God. But in our foolishness and rebellion, we go to something other than God to quench our thirst. We go to political causes or relationships or money and careers and our families. We're thirsty and we're running around to all these created things, drinking from those fountains, hoping they're going to satisfy our thirst. But all they do is make us more thirsty. Because all these things are good things, but when you go to these things to quench your deepest desires, you end up making false gods, or the way Jeremiah said it, faulty cisterns out of them. It's called idolatry, and it always leads to disappointment and slavery. Why is that? Because you were made for God, and these things are not God. They don't have the resources that God has. They don't have the glory that God has. So therefore, they can't quench your thirst. And so what happens, you know, it's, you can call this the law of diminishing returns. You think that a relationship will make you happy. You get that relationship, and then you find out, well, it just didn't quite work. It just didn't quite satisfy. So there's two options, typically, One, 
You start to idolize that relationship. You start to get controlling. You start to get possessive. You start to think, I just need more of their time. I need more of their attention. I need more of their love. I need, I need more of them. But the more you try to control, the more the other person starts pushes away because they don't want to be made an idol. And they know that they're not your answer. They're not your savior. And so they start pushing away. And then what happens? They start pushing away and then you start pushing in. Or you're in a relationship and you find out that, wow, this is really hard. This is really difficult. She's not giving me what I need. He's not giving me what I need. Well, guess what the easiest thing to do is? The easiest thing the devil says is just to go on and find somebody else. Start over. Do something new. Disobey God's, God's word because you're selfish. You think your way is the right way. Ignore God. Go your own path. And we do it to our own destruction. The more we go to something other than God to quench our spiritual thirst, the more thirsty we become. The more unhealthy our relationships with them become. And we've, we're such a technological society too, and we've been told that technology can save us and Technology can hear us and, or heal us and technology can evolve us and what's on the next horizon, AI, and we're gonna get information planted or an internet planted in our brain and we'll have access to the internet at all time. We'll be able to Google anything we want without even having, you know, just thinking about it. That's gonna solve all of our problems. All we need is more information, right? Really? More? Like the internet is going to solve, how's that going for you? Just Google it. Oh, that sounds simple. And then Google through their algorithm already determines all your results you get. So when I Google it and you Google it, we get different answers. Well, how's that going to help us? Just Google. Curing COVID-19. And just, right, you could, all of our answers are going to be different. We've been told a lie that more information is what we need. We don't need more information or better information right now. We need more of God. And mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, all that we call human history and C.S. Lewis was a historian. Um, he says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That's what, his, that's what human history is, Lewis says. Now, here's, what's, here's the good news. The sight of God that we're craving, that we were built for God, by God, this is the very thing that Jesus is offering for those who will follow him. 
He says, we will see God. Now, this means two things. First, we will see him now. What does that mean? That means the Christian, the person who follows Christ, will be able to see God right now in ways others can't. We will see his fingerprints. We will see as the wind, we don't see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. We see the wind move the leaves on the tree. We won't see God in that way, but we will see how the spirit moves people, right? We can see the effects of him. The Christian can see God in nature, whereas the non-Christian can't. The Christian can see God in human history, The Christian can see God in their missional community and in their family and in their church and in their own life. We can see God's fingerprints. We say around here, we can see evidences of his grace. Wait, this world is broken. This world is hurting. This world is lost. And yet God is at work here. He's restoring marriages. He's bringing children to faith. He's bringing people that didn't grow up in Christian homes into the faith. People are being baptized. He's healing addictions. God is doing things right now. As Ben said, it's 2020 and we're still here. Now, we might not think that's important, but the people that I'm talking to, the pastoral coaches and counselors and those that are counseling pastors are saying never before in human history have they seen as many pastors on the edge of quitting and leaving their church as right now. High percentages of churches will not come out of COVID-19. They will close their doors forever. They can't operate economically, they don't have enough people, they don't have access, they, they, they're just closed and the pastors are just burned out and fried and tired of fighting with people over politics and over the racial issues and over the mask mandates and they're just walking away because it's, it's easier to go work for Chick-fil-A. Sorry, Josh, if it's not, but I think it probably is. Some days I wish I could just make a chicken sandwich and get paid for it. But guess what? In the midst of this, God has you here. God has preserved your faith. God has preserved our church. There's a lot of evidence of his grace here. But secondly, this beatitude also offers this. Christians and Christians only will see God perfectly face-to-face in the world to come. When we die and we go be with Christ or in the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus brings in his second coming. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then we see face-to-face Now I know in part, so he knows by faith now. I see God by faith now, but in the end, I'll see God with my actual eyes and I won't need faith. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I gotta say, this has got to be the greatest thing that has ever been said of mankind. 
with all of our problems and all of our pains and all of our fears and all of our insecurities, we broken people are going to see God face to face and all of those things are going to fade away in the light of his glory. Well, I, that's one of the things I hope happens today. I hope, and one of the reasons we come together and it doesn't necessarily happen when you're sitting at home just watching the stream. When we come together, God can get our attention and raise our eyes off of our stuff and put it on him and we can find satisfaction. Maybe just for a moment. But hopefully when you're here and you're hearing the gospel and you're declaring the word of God and you're, you're praising him and singing him, you're not thinking about how you're making the mortgage payment. You're not thinking about the car payment. You're not thinking about some virus. You're thinking about God, what you were made for. And for this one moment, maybe all week long, this is the only moment you get, but you see clearly in this moment, life is about God. That's what it's about. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We're but a vapor and a breath. You can probably see your breath out there. You're in the sun though, okay? I'm in the shade this week. And this metal pulpit is literally freezing my hands. That's why I, I, I quit touching it. <laughs> you were made for God. Okay. But here lies a great obstacle that I kind of just bypassed. It's a great obstacle to that glorious day where we will see him face to face. Jesus says, only the pure in heart will see God and be satisfied. Psalm 18, 25 says, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. But with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. See, a sight of God will only be good news if you're pure in heart. If you're impure or wicked or defiled or broken, a sight of God would seem tortuous. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Soren Kierkegaard, Christian philosopher, said, to be pure in heart is to will one thing. To will one thing. Well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So to be pure in heart is to will, to want, to crave, to desire one thing. And that one thing is to know and love and experience God above all things. That's what it means. So 
Here's what Jesus is saying. Only those who desire me with their whole heart will see me. Only those who want me will see me. Now, I got to tell you, here's the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet, including the secular religions of our day, like atheism, politics, sexuality, sexuality unmoored from biblical foundations. See, when you ask an atheist if he or she, I'll say he because like 90% of atheists are men, white men, by the way. If you ask an atheist, are you, how, how's your heart? Are you pure in heart? He goes, yes, I'm pure in heart. Yes, I have altruistic motives. Yes, I'm good. When you ask a political conservative if he's pure in heart, he says, yes. Who's not pure in heart? Them across the aisle. If you ask a liberal, a political liberal, are your motives pure? Pure as the driven snow. This is why, <laughs> can you even fact check a presidential debate? It's just like, liar, liar, liar. <laughs> this is like, they're just lying back and forth. That's all they're doing. Hoping they don't get called out on it. But what, it, I'm pure in heart. I've got good motives. See, here, now listen, this is why Christianity is different. Nearly every other religion in our world says the insiders to our group are the pure ones, the good ones with pure hearts, and the ones on the outside, they're the ones who are impure. They're the ones who have evil intentions and bad motives. But we're good. I dare say maybe some of us have even said the words, well, you just don't know my heart. But here's the difference. In Jesus' kingdom, the only way into it is to see and be repulsed by the impurity of our own heart. To pull up to these beatitudes and go, oh, that's not me. And guess what? We go back to the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the impure in heart. Those who acknowledge their impurity. Jesus says this in Matthew 15, 19 to 20. Listen, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, Slander. Now listen, how many of us say, oh, no, I have a good heart. I just made a mistake. That was an oops. But I got a good heart. Somebody says, hey, man, you hurt me. You offended me. You lied about me. You did this. Oh, that wasn't my intention. I have a good heart. Jesus says, no, you don't. The reason you did the bad thing is because you have a bad heart. You have a broken heart. You don't have a good heart 
but occasionally you slip up and make a mistake. No, you have what Jesus says is an evil and corrupt heart that fuels all of your bad thoughts and bad behaviors. Now here's the blessing. The person that God has touched with his grace, when you say, do you have a good heart? They say, whoa, absolutely not. Blessed in the pure in heart? That's not me. I'm not pure in heart. I've got all kinds of evil desires and broken feelings and evil intentions going on in my heart. If I'm honest and God gives me the eyes to see, I see the impurity of my heart. And you know what God does to that person? He gives them a new heart through the Spirit of God. This is a gift of grace that you didn't earn. Jesus earned it for you. But now here's the, people get often confused here. Okay, so I'm a Christian. I've received a new heart. Now I'm pure in heart and I can stand up and say, I'm pure and you're impure. So you outsiders, you sinners, you unbelievers, repent and be pure like me. Whoa. No. In this life, our hearts are at best divided hearts. James, the brother of Jesus says, our desires are still at war within us. Tell me, Christian, does that sound more true than the false gospel that's been preached to us that once you get a new heart, you're never gonna struggle with sin again? Once you get a new heart, you're pure and you're gonna have a new mind and you're gonna have a new heart and you're just gonna follow Jesus and wanna do what's right and wanna do what's good and you're just gonna joyfully give your finances over and above. You're gonna be looking for people to bless and to take care of. Was that your experience or is your experience in my body is a divided heart? I wanna love my wife, but I wanna love myself more. I want to be kind, but I'd rather just be aggressive and get my way. I want to be on mission, but I don't want to be awkward. I want to serve our city and see the kingdom of God come, but not on Friday night. That's my night. If you're like me, the experience of being saved by God feels like I have a war going on within me. I have godly heart and I have a selfish heart. I have godly desires and I have selfish desires. I, we desire God and we, yet we desire our own way. I want to be satisfied and yet I reject the source of satisfaction. Young man, young woman, your desire for sexual intimacy until you're married can only be met by God. When you're craving that, you're craving God. So what are we to do? We have this divided heart in us. What do we do? James tells us in chapter four, verse six. Listen to this. And here, it's the last thing I'm gonna, pretty much the last thing I'm gonna say. Unless I get... That's like something else comes to my mind. <laughs> James says this. But, the, here's the response to a divided heart. But he, God, but God 
gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So here's the, here's the, here's what he's saying. You've been given a new heart, and that new heart is pure. But we have a divided heart, and that with impurity and purity, and we sin often, every day, probably every moment, if we could actually see God's view of things. We're probably sinning all the time. And so what do we do when we have this purity and impurity waging at war within us? We humble ourselves. We seek God. We come to the fountain of grace to receive grace upon grace upon grace. We never move beyond the gospel. We never move past grace. And draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse our hands. Pur purify your hearts. How can I do that? Through confession and repentance and remembering the gospel. Jesus has ultimately cleansed us. Baptism reminds us of that. We were washed, we were made new, and yet we still have this divided heart within us. And that's why he gives us the grace of confession and repentance. That Christians are quick to say, I, 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 I sinned in thought, word, and deed, by things I've done and things I've left undone. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Parents, I pray today you got a glimpse of God. Single people, I pray today you've got a glimpse of God and he wants to give you more if you ask for it. He wants to give you more if you seek him. You've messed up, you failed. Guess what? He's got more grace. He's got more grace. He wants you to see him. Do you realize the whole Bible is a story of God's mission that people, human beings, would see him and enjoy him and worship him? That's the whole story of the Bible. Everything he's done to show us that and to get us back into that. Because we're so broken, we could never earn our way back in. He sends his own son to live that life for us so that we one day could have the sight that we're craving. And so I pray that this morning you've got a glimpse of it. It might have been a quick glimpse but I pray that it would speak a better word to your soul. I pray, Christian, as you come to the Lord's table this morning, that once again, you would receive the grace of confession and repentance. You would repent of your sins, the ways you've been looking for something other than God to satisfy your soul. But you would come and you would receive in your body today grace upon grace the body that was broken for you before you were born, the blood that was shed for you before you were a thought in your mother or your father's head, before you had even sinned, Jesus paid for your sins. This is good news for us. The blood of Jesus purifies our heart, it makes us new, and it gives us the grace to repent, to confess, to receive more grace. I pray that you would do that this morning.
Father, we thank you for your gift of grace. So humbling to read this. The pure in heart will see you and know that ain't me. Not without your grace, but with your grace. You count us as righteous in Christ. That the pure heart of Jesus purified our heart. That the Spirit of God gives a new spiritual heart to the believer. I pray that even right now as the gospel's being declared, you would do that in the heart of your people. We pray all of this for your glory and our joy. Jesus, we thank you for giving us this sacrament, this sacred moment where we can come to you and literally receive more grace. Open our greedy, filthy hands and you can place the pure body and the pure blood of Christ into them and we can know that we're not worthy of it, but you give it to us anyways and grace upon grace upon grace and we can eat it and we can drink it and we can be reminded and we can experience the purifying power of the gospel in our soul even now. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.